Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empowering a community through the mission in their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast with our final episode on what has been a powerful series featuring advocacy. In this series, we have heard from lionesses living out their mission to advocate for others. Each of our features has been exceptionally inspiring to me, and our final guest punctuates the series in a way that is bold, wise, and strong. It doesn't feel real that I get to feature this incredible woman for you today. Dr. Rosa Perez-Isaiah serves students as Director of Elementary and Instructional Supports in California. Her experiences include 25 years in education as Teacher Bilingual Specialist, Language Arts Specialist, Assistant Principal, Coordinator of Federal and State Programs, and Principal. As Principal, Dr. Isaiah focused on supporting the development of healthy school culture, professional learning communities, and meeting the needs of the whole child. Dr. Isaiah is passionate about equity in education and closing opportunity gaps for historically underserved students. She believes in the power of relationships and leading with purpose and passion. Dr. Isaiah is Connected Educator and the founder of Hashtag We Lead Ed Twitter Chat. She is also the host of We Lead Ed BAM radio show focused on leadership through a social justice and equity lens. Dr. Isaiah was named 2016 Body and Mind Education Radio Thought Leader of the Year. Dr. Isaiah recently co-authored two books for educators and educational leaders, Hashtag Fully Charged 140 Battery Charging Maslow and Bloom Strategies for Students, Parents, and Staff, and Education Right Now, Top Strategies for Impacting Relationship and Culture. In addition, Dr. Isaiah has contributed her voice to blogs and leadership books, webinars, and education week on the topics of leadership, school culture, English learners, and equity. Dr. Isaiah is part of the Solution Tree Associates team. Her presentations are focused on school culture, equity, and access, parent engagement, and English learners. She promotes Dr. Anthony Muhammad's achievement gap in school culture work and message. In addition to her work with Solution Tree, Dr. Isaiah has presented for the Association of Middle-Level Education in Hawaii and Guatemala City, the Association of California School Administrators, and the California League of Schools and Ed Surge Fusion. Dr. Isaiah's experience as an immigrant, an English learner, and a child who grew up in a poverty add to her ability to connect with students, parents, and staff. As a bilingual leader, Dr. Isaiah believes in the power of biliteracy and bicultural education in schools. Dr. Isaiah is a lifelong learner. She holds a bachelor's in sociology, a master's in educational leadership, a multiple subject bilingual teaching credential, an administrative credential, and an in EDD and Educational Leadership for Social Justice from Loyola Marymount University, Los Angeles. In this episode, we learn the impact of Dr. Rosa's teachers on her early life, how she found her strong and courageous voice against all challenging odds, and we learn how we too can speak our minds even if our voice shakes. I am honored to amplify for you today Dr. Rosa's advocacy story. Welcome, Dr. Rosa Isaiah. I am so honored that you would step away from the very important work that you're doing and all of the grateful life that you have fully charged to step in and have a great conversation with me today on the In Awe podcast. And you are being featured on the series on advocacy. And I am so super pumped that we were able to fit this in because I've seen you as this very competent, capable, strong, courageous voice um, in advocacy. So welcome, welcome. Wow, that's a wonderful welcome, Sarah. Um, I want to meet this Rosa. (laughs) Thank you. It's my honor to be here. And I I wanted to make sure that I found the time to be able to connect with you. And I'm looking forward to our, our conversation. 
Well, it's a great honor and a value. And, and all you have to do to meet her is look in that mirror because you, <laughs> you've influenced me for quite a little while. This is the first time we've been able to connect, but I have uh, been connected with you on social media. I've seen your the posts that you put out. I can see how courageously you are speaking and advocating not only for students, but also for leaders. And I'm just excited to unpack that today because as you know, the series on advocacy is featuring women who are moving the needle in a wide variety of spaces. And so I, I would love for you to just share with the listeners a little bit about your context in relation to what you're up to right now. Um, thank you. Uh, I enjoy uh, learning with you as well. Um, social media is quite a powerful tool. And I have to say that it's really added so much to my learning as a leader and as a human being. <laughs> in general. Um, I am currently in wonderful Southern California, and I am in a new position. Um, This is my 25th year as an educator, and my current role is Director of Elementary and Instructional Supports in uh, the Norwalk La Mirada School District. I have a number of experiences. Uh, My last opportunity to serve was as a principal for seven years at an elementary uh, school and it was the hardest, uh, most incredible opportunity I've had. And I wanted to grow and I wanted to figure out a way to support principals. I understand how hard the work is, but also how rewarding it is. And uh, here I am. I just really appreciate that you would say that because it's hard to do that when we're in the positions to talk about, oh, the role of principal is so challenging. But for those of us have been able to step out of it, can say that unequivocally, it is one of the most challenging roles. And so I just love that you are there serving the people that that are working in the walk that you've been and that you can bring this authenticity to that support. They're so fortunate to have you. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, Part of of the work work that I am so passionate about is equity in education and uh, moving away from the site. You know, it's a process to to get used to that and not being around kids every day. And um, I think in this role, I continue to serve and my impact is different. And um, knowing that, uh, you know, I'm at peace with with this transition. Um, Also, just my own personal experiences contribute a great deal to my focus today on equity and advocacy for underserved people, uh, empowering all voices, uh, especially the voices for women. Well, it sounds like you're in the right space then, Dr. Rosa. (laughs) (laughs) I am. I feel it. It's the right place to be. That's awesome. So would you just share, you you kind of referenced your own background. Do you want to share a little bit about your background and your history that might fuel some of your passion for being such an advocate for equity? Yeah, absolutely. I am an immigrant. I am an English learner. I am one of eight kids and the only one who went to college. And as you can see, once I started, I couldn't stop. So I just wrapped up my (laughs) doctorate in educational leadership for social justice about three years ago. And I just remember, you know, growing up in poverty and knowing really early on that I wanted something different. And, you know, my initial experience in school was, I don't remember much of my kindergarten year, because I didn't speak the language. I felt completely lost. It was culture shock. 
Uh, and then in first grade, I had a tremendously impactful teacher, um, Senora de la Peña. And she was the first person who really made me feel visible as a student who was learning a new language and living in a new country. And um, she is really part of the reason that I decided to do this work. She impacted me um, by just validating who I was and validating my culture and my language. And I remember she um, started a Spanish club after school and she taught me to read in my primary language. And um, it just, I, I took off. Um, I learned to read in both languages and then uh, became so excited about learning. And school really was my escape from my reality, which wasn't always a positive experience. Uh, that just started this process. Uh, I remember in high school, even as a senior, not being sure. I was always doubtful. Can I really do this? Can I go to college? I don't see anybody like me doing this. Uh, I felt like a fish out of water. And I had uh, another teacher, uh, Mrs. Clear, who shared her personal story with me. Uh, we weren't super close. We were on a field trip and we just began to talk. And, and her story sounded like mine. And it was like a light bulb that went off in my head. And I thought, oh my gosh, if she can do it, I can do it. And, and I decided that day that I was going to apply to a number of colleges and, and see what happens. Mm. Um, my parents didn't have the social capital to help me with that process. Uh, my mother is sixth grade educated, my dad third grade. They didn't know that uh, coming here would create better opportunities for us. So they did the best they could. They supported me. Um, but I had to navigate that entire system. And I just remember thinking, okay, I'm working two jobs, going to school at night, but I'm going to do this. It took me almost seven years to get my bachelor's and I did it. And then I just, it, it just reinforced everything that I wanted to do. Helped me realize that, okay, it's going to be hard, but look what you've done. Keep it moving. <laughs> you can do more. So I, I think those experiences and struggles um, help me connect with my students and teachers, um, my parents, my community. I've always had an opportunity to work with underserved uh, children and, and families. And so being bilingual, having experienced those experiences really um help me make connections with families. So that I think just fueled my hunger for change, really empowered me to find my voice and to use that voice to create opportunities for underserved communities. What a voice it is. And so much of what you said, I was sitting here thinking, I got to reach through this microphone and give you the biggest hug. Seven years for your bachelor's degree. Yeah. It took me six and a half years. And I, I remember even um, when I was 18 and there were, you know, 10 of us in my house. So I thought, gosh, this is so hard. The house is noisy. Um, I had to wait till like 10, 1030 to really start on my homework. And um, it was hard. And, and I talked to my parents. My friend had an apartment and I said, there's just no way that I can 
keep this up. I really need that space. And they were so supportive and gave me their blessings. And I moved out at 18. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be easy, right? (laughs) I had to get two jobs to pay my rent and pay tuition and do all of those things. And uh, honestly, I look back sometimes and think like, how in the world did I get through that? Um, But I just figured it out and had some key people along the way that really encouraged me and pushed me. I appreciate that you mentioned those key people, but I think that level of grit and uh, perseverance that you demonstrated just even in that segment of your life is inspiring on its own. And I'm just a little bit curious, what do you think it was that kept you going? Because it's one thing to think, well, I can do this. Was it a passion to be with students? I mean, what do you think it was that was driving you along those long drudgery months (laughs) and years? You know, I remember as a fifth grader, our teacher had us create some life goals. To me, they were like wild, radical ideas. Uh, And I remember writing down that I wanted to do these three things. I wanted to be a a teacher and principal. Um, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to write a book. And I wanted to find a wonderful partner and have a great family and raise great kids. For a while, I forgot about that. And my mom found that journal and showed it to me. I I must have been in my 20s at the time. And I thought, oh, my gosh, like I'm halfway there, more than halfway there. So I, I don't know. I think the idea of not wanting that and wanting not wanting to be in that setting, because I, I saw how hard my parents struggled, loving school, just learning to love it and, and seeing it as a way to create opportunities for, for myself and for my family. That really fueled me. There was no question. I was going to finish. The question was when, um, but I never had the doubt. There were times, of course, that I just, I thought, I can't do this. I'm exhausted. Um, But it was just, I was determined that that is what I would do. I never really thought about a doctorate. I thought, wow, you know, that's a lot of work. Uh, But I remember, again, a mentor along the way, uh, Superintendent Dr. Condon, as soon as I finished my master's and my administrative credential, he said to me, okay, so when are you starting on the doctorate? And I thought he was crazy. Two years later, I was in a program. So I, I think the determination and also having the validation and, and people who saw something in me that I didn't realize I had, whether it was a leadership skill or uh, my ability to work with other people, I'm not sure. But just knowing that I had people rooting for me, um, it was almost like there was no way I can disappoint everyone. I've got to say the course and, and get this done. What a beautiful origin story that you can pinpoint it back to fifth grade that you set these goals yeah. and nice. You, you got the bucket list checked off from your fifth grade self, but then you just keep pushing yourself. I did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did. And, and um, I guess I should start another list. It was a driving force. But I can see how that ties so beautifully to your life message now where you push and you, um, you know, you fight and you advocate for equity in education because your story alone is beautiful 
it could be universal. You know, that could be any kid that had that conversation, but because you come to it with this really authentic lens of having, um, you know, your family as being in a state of poverty, immigrants and having this be a language learner, I bet that you can just, you just have the most beautiful impact. And I can just picture how passionate you can, how passionately about this you can speak. True. I didn't realize it, but then again, you know, the reason why I'm here is because people shared their story with me and helped me uh, believe that I could myself do it as well. Um, there was self-doubt. Uh, culturally, I was raised to think, you know, uh, some of the things I heard or yes. you're smart, you can get a job. Why do you have to go to college? It's too expensive. People from our community don't go to college. I was like, um, you know, the, the odd one. I didn't fit into this mold. Um, but all of that, I think, just pushed me. Uh, I, I was sharing with someone like, if you want me to get something done, just tell me I can't do it. That has been like, mm. I want to give somebody my, you know, my cup to say, hold this, watch me. Uh, and it, it took a while to, to get to that point because there was always that self-doubt, a little bit of that imposter syndrome. Mm. And can I really do this? And I realize that oftentimes, especially with women, we are our worst enemies because there is that negative self-talk and talking ourselves out of situations. And if you didn't grow up in an environment where there was a counter narrative and a different conversation happening, it's easy to get caught up by that, that negative inner voice of, of self-doubt. I think in my 30s is when I realized, nope, I I have a voice. I'm going to use it. Well, that's a great kind of theme as I think about your story, Dr. Rosa. And I think, you know, too, it's so nice for our listeners to hear that somebody of your, I don't want to say stature, but with the accomplishments that you've had and the way in which you speak so strongly to advocate that you could also have that inner critic. And I, I really value that there is space to speak about this, to, you know, to be vulnerable, to say that we can be strong and we can also struggle with that. I always love the, when I, when I butt up against the, that topic and that research about the inner critic, and I think about the fact that, you know, who do we spend the most time with every day? And we look at mindset and how you really, I mean, every single one of us have to affirm ourselves and, and push ourselves and find ways to silence that inner critic. Absolutely. And so I so value that you've shared that. Uh, with your struggle. And I also keep hearing this and and knowing this kind of theme in your life about finding your voice. And I think there's an exceptional story that you might be able to share with us about how you were able to kind of find that voice and and push hard to speak strongly. So would you like to to share an example of that? Uh, yeah, I, I professionally, I think finding my my voice as an advocate for children beyond the classroom. Um, because in the classroom, as, as I developed my skills as a teacher, I realized like the influence and power that the responsibility that we have as educators, because kids look at you like, oh my gosh, 
you're everything. You're bigger than life. You're Chuck E. Cheese. Um, <laughs> and so you have some control there, right? In, in, in the message and the advocacy for kids. As a leader, everybody's watching mm. and you better walk the talk. And I remember when I first became uh, a principal, I was faced with a situation where someone um, on the team was very negative, toxic, and even borderline abusive, um, bully behavior to kids and adults. And um, this person had uh, a lot of influence. And I knew that taking a risk and addressing that behavior and issue um, could put even my job in jeopardy. I struggled with that because I thought, you know, do I say something? Can I live with myself if I don't say anything? The space that, that I was in, it, it, it became kind of something that everyone was used to. Uh, this is kind of the culture. I had to say something. Um, of course, when you are dealing with that on your team, you have to always uh, look through the lens of supporting, support and accountability. And if the support isn't uh, accepted or, um, you know, you're faced with making some difficult decisions. And so I, I said something and I told my husband, Hey, I may not have a job <laughs> next week, but <laughs> this is a journey I'm about to embark in. Just saying something about the treatment of adults and kids to this person and trying to work with this person to help him grow created this wave of change because the team looked and saw, okay, this person's been here for years and years and years. And, um, you know, no one had ever addressed the issue. It was kind of like, ah, that's just what he does. Shut the door kind of thing. Um, I didn't say a word, but I think just my actions uh, spoke a great deal to the entire team. And this person eventually removed himself from, from that setting, from our learning environment. Uh, but it taught me a great lesson just about remembering that uh, we can be passionate, we can be vocal, but being actionable about the passion mm -hmm. is a whole different story. We have to speak up. We have to be brave and courageous. And I remember reading a quote, um, something about speak up, even if your voice shakes, uh, something like that. I'm probably totally destroying the quote. Uh, but I, I remember thinking, I have to say something. I was scared to death about what it would mean for me and my family and my future, but it was the right thing to do. And it created an amazing opportunity for all of us to get on the same page about what we tolerate, what we represent, and how we will advocate for every adult and every child in our school community. And it's the best thing I did. That was a moment where I had to like put my money where my mouth was and, and, and live it and do what I've talked about doing and, and what I think is important for kids. Uh, but it was scary. It was scary as heck. And I found it changed my trajectory. I think as a leader, it changed my perspective and I, I felt so strong, uh, strong in my ability to create change with the support of a team, but also just strong in who I was as a leader, uh, as a woman, 
uh, in leadership. I'm so proud of you for doing that and for your story. I'm just sitting here in awe of the fact that the story you outline is one that could have gone in a couple of different directions. And what this shows us, your example shows us is that when you are willing to, you know, speak, even though your voice shakes, and I love that quote, you did justice to it. It was perfect context there. But you know, it, it for the listeners that, that have experienced something similar where they've spoken their truth and the outcome didn't come positively in, didn't have the same situation. Those are the those are the times in where it goes either direction where we've got to realize that it doesn't matter the outcome just as long as we're living in our values. And that can be so hard <laughs> in a system. Yes, it is. Yeah, and what a beautiful way that you frame that to say that it worked out and you were able to push that learning community forward in a way that was best for kids and that you had to put your money where your mouth was. And I love how you delineate that we can have these passions and we can speak about them, but the rubber has to meet the road and we put our feet to the ground. We've got to stand for something. And I'm just love this example of how you found your voice. It had to have been very empowering. It was. And um, there are many other opportunities for greatness where I didn't feel like it was a great outcome and, and things weren't great for all of us. Uh, but being able to pick yourself up from that and learn from those experiences and apply that to future decisions, choices, or whatever it is that we may be doing is, is also very powerful. So even when it doesn't work out, there's so much learning. I learn the most from the most dysfunctional administrators I've worked with. (laughs) And I realized, wow, that was the hardest year of my life. Uh, I'm very thankful for the opportunity to lead alongside this person because I learned what not to do. Sure. And I learned um, how important relationships are and how important it is to support you can't hold someone accountable without support. So we'll have those opportunities as well. I appreciate that you share, you know, it's, it's easy to, to, to realize that we're going to learn the hardest from the challenges, but it's not easy to be faced with those challenges for sure. Yeah. And enter into those courageous conversations, uh, you know, coming to the table with radical candor, you know, being able to face those that takes, it's a muscle you have to learn to work for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. But when it comes to your journey, because we've we've been able to talk some about your past, what it, what is it that you're the most proud of? I'm most proud of my kids. Mm. Like I mentioned, being first generation um, college student and being able to create those opportunities for my own children is just incredible. And I feel like as I get older, I really value more and more or understand the importance of family and supporting each other. Um, My son is wrapping up his first year in college and the whole experience was just uh, incredible. That's new in my family community. Like I mentioned, I have um, seven siblings. Sometimes we do things and we don't realize that we are making an impact or that we're doing it for all of us. Uh, going to college, getting my doctorate, the children are watching. My nieces, my nephews, they're all pursuing college degrees. Uh, I had a conversation with my niece and and she said, you know, I really, I I just want to be like you, Thea. And I I thought, what? It was just 
overwhelming pride and, and shock. And it dawned on me like they're watching. This is not just for me and doing this work because I want to be, I want to learn. I love learning. I love leading, but also the impact that that has had on my family. It, it really is humbling. And I think as leaders and educators, we have to always remember the children are watching. What is it that we are doing to create opportunities for them? And what is it that we're not? Uh, just like in that example that I shared, I could have said nothing and that would have spoken volumes, right? Saying something was even more important and, and louder uh, than the alternative. So just remembering that there's impact in, in the work that we're doing beyond what we can see at the moment in time. Such a wise reflection there, not, you know, tying that not only to your family, but just the people around you. Rosa, you bring up such a great point because I love this idea of our, our community of women leaders that we need to, we need to have trailblazers. We've needed to have people pave the way and to watch those in front of us. And then we also have to look behind that path and see that there are people looking toward us to lead them. It's not, you know, it's so easy to just get caught up in our own dreams and goals and our vision, but you've just given us that really great wisdom to look around and see that we have a, a social responsibility as well to be our best versions. And I just really appreciate what you, what you gave us there with your personal example. It's beautiful. Welcome. I, I'm sitting back and every other day I hear about a new person running for president. And um, regardless of how you feel about the current, you know, political rhetoric, uh, what happened uh, when a woman decided to run for president is the floodgates were opened, right? And now we have a number of, of women who are interested in running or looking to run uh, for that position. And it, it, I thought, wow, what a change that I, I never dreamed. I never dreamed that would happen. And um, it's, it's that idea of being the example, being the first, being the one to have the courage to do something different when it benefits uh, the entire group. It's, it's happening around us and we need more of it. Aren't we living in a great time right now? <laughs> we are. It's a really scary time. And I, sometimes I just, I can't even watch the news. Um, so I have to sometimes just step away and just remember, this is what I can control. This is my influence and this is my impact. And I have to believe that I'm making a difference. If, if we, we can't sit back and, and say, well, it doesn't matter anyway, nothing will change. Something will change. Something will change. And it's going to take everybody coming together. And, and I'll tell you just, I was watching when I first broke away from a, you know, traditional role in leadership. And I was spending these months figuring out how I'm going to serve with my gifts and what it was I was supposed to contribute to the world. I found myself with more time on my hands than I usually had <laughs> looking at the news and that the, my blood would just start to boil and it would become unhealthy for me. And I thought I've got to walk away, but 
I realized just in this conversation with you, Rosa, how beautiful and freeing it's been that I can now flip that and see how some of the really disgusting and terrible and misogynistic things that we're seeing, the messages that we're getting are creating the opportunity to wave back. You know, when you look at the history of, of the United States and look at the, the waves of feminism, I've just recently read that we're moving into potentially a fourth wave Ooh. of feminism where we've got social responsibility and, and leaders like you who are willing to step in and leaders at the higher levels that are coming together and women forming and, and men forming to support that equity um, to counteract some of that kind of terrible rhetoric that's coming out. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling hopeful where if you and I would have had this interview months ago, I probably would have felt differently. So that's great. It's true. We can't despair, um, become apathetic to it all. I have a daughter who's 11 and, um, you know, she, she says to me, mom, why are you watching the news? You get so mad. And I said, honey, because these are important issues that impact my students, my families that impacts us. Um, and so seeing her, seeing the way she's responding to some of these things. Um, she asked me, you know, the whole voting and she says to me like, mom, does it really even matter? Like look at everything that's happening. And I'm thinking you're 11 and it it was heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Um, being a, a new middle schooler, her, she, she doubts herself all the time. She is concerned about comments that people make. Um, uh, and I'm thinking, wow, like it it pains me, but I can't look shocked. And I just have to say, well, honey, tell me more about that. And then just try to give her the tools to navigate the ugliness that is going to come with some of these, uh, milestones and changes and, um, just helping her understand how, how much value, um, she has and what she brings to the table and how, um, she needs to be in control of her own, um, agenda. And uh, we shouldn't have other people impose their agendas on us and, to society and, and what we are told our roles are or, or can't be. Um, so I am living it every day <laughs> and I, I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, is everything going to be okay? Is she going to be okay? And then she'll say something that, that she shared with a friend and I'm thinking, ah, oh, she's listening. It's, it's, it's coming mm-hmm. to her. She won't have to wait till her twenties and thirties like I did to have that big revelation. So, um, I, I wish that for my daughter and for every daughter, uh, for every student who has that self-doubt and that inner voice or even, you know, society telling her, you can't do this. You don't have what it takes. And that stays with us for years. And to be able to shake it takes some time. And so... Um, I'm living it at home and, and uh, I want to shout it from the mountaintops so that every young girl understands that they can do whatever they want to do. Well, she's in a good position with such a strong and capable mother to guide her through those really challenging years, because no matter where you are at in history, (laughs) 
years, <laughs> those years are tough, you know, those middle years. Yes. And so I love that you, you know, you say that maybe she'll figure it out before you. And isn't that what we aspire that our children can, can gain ahead. And, but it's so hard because they have to go through those things. I have a nine and a seven year old, and I often think about the messages that I share with them and what that could mean for their future um, mindsets. Yes. You know, it's, it's yes. a heavy, it's a heavy load. Well, since we're on that topic, Rosa, we're starting to run out of time, but you are just dropping so many beautiful gems of wisdom. And I want to make sure that we get a couple of standard responses that I typically ask on this podcast. So uh, if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what do you think you would say? Um, that's a wonderful question. I, I think uh, be brave, be bold, um, find your voice. It, uh, the opportunity is there, share your opinions, ask questions and learn to walk away from toxic situations. Uh, if I could go back and, and, and implement some of those strategies, <laughs> I would, I mean, those experiences, both positive and negative make me who I am today. So I don't have regrets. Um, but those are messages that um, are and lessons that took a while for me to learn. I really value what you said is that you have to go through the struggle and learn the lessons, but just, you know, if you could whisper in your ear, maybe to keep going, be brave, yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> it. So as an influential woman, what advice would you give to anybody listening who may find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt and they need to hear Rosa's voice to help them through it right now? <laughs> Surround yourself by people who believe in you and support you. I mentioned walk away from toxic situations. That's really hard. It's really hard to do sometimes, especially when when those people or circumstances are your work, your immediate family. Um, you can change the way you respond to things, but sometimes it's really hard to change the other person or the situation. Uh, and give yourself permission to do that. To, to make mistakes, to learn from them, and sometimes to walk away. Great advice. Such a, such a wise voice here on our podcast. So to end, I just want a couple of awe-inspiring in recommendations from you, and I'll be sure to link these for the listeners in the show notes. But could you point us to anybody on social media that we should connect with? At Women Ed, and there's also at Women Ed US, an organization that I follow and, and learn a great deal from. Uh, UCLA Center X, their um, their work around equity and social justice, and they put out um, a newsletter that has a number of resources and articles, all focusing on those areas. Uh, Val Brown is incredible. Uh, Shana White, and they speak about equity and social justice. Uh, Stephen Weber is an amazing curriculum uh, and instruction leader. And I learn from him almost daily. We Vox almost daily. Um, there's a group of us and, and we've been connected for a few years and I, I have only met him in person once. He's an absolute gem. Uh, Shane Safir, uh, The Listening Leader, is a book that she's written and she is amazing. Um, and a huge influence for me has been Dr. Anthony Muhammad's work around culture and his book, Transforming School Culture, is, is what I used to help me navigate those um, difficult times in, in leading 
and learning with my team. Uh, Kenneth Williams is another person who is a phenomenal speaker and uh, also talks about uh, culture and learning communities and and living living your message. those are all great resources. That's wonderful. And you got a book recommendation in there too. Yes, it works harder yes, there. Yes, a couple. <laughs> Talk to yes. I'm, I'm currently reading uh, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead and I just love her. Um, a great quote from that book is, uh, we need braver leaders and more courageous cultures. And that really spoke to me. Anyone who listens to my podcast on the regular knows that if I had to list anybody to meet in person, it would be Brene Brown. Um, So thank you for for referencing her work. And it's not a surprise because as I listen to you and the wisdom that you're you're, uh, putting out there, we're just so thankful to have her. Aren't you just so thankful to live during the time that she's alive? She's amazing. So I want the listeners to be able to to know that Dr. Rosa is also a podcaster. And so I will be sure to link all of this and to link how to get a hold of of your podcast. But do you want to share just anything about that? Yes. um, I mentioned uh, a little earlier that I'm a connected educator and um, Twitter has absolutely... uh, contributed a great deal to my learning as a leader. And I remember when I um, started jumping in to um, chats, I just thought, you know, everything sounds like butterflies and unicorns. And I know that's not reality. And it felt like an echo chamber. And I thought, I don't, I can't find a chat that's focused on social justice and leadership. And so I did what I usually do and said, I'm going to do my own. And (laughs) it started We Lead Ed chat about this June will be five years. I can't believe it. Um, And the focus is leadership uh, through the lens of equity and social justice. So BAM Radio Network, um, I was on someone's show and they heard me and, and said, you know, we would love for you to have your own podcast. I believe we're going on our third year and I just um, follow up my uh, Twitter chats with a podcast show around the topic. And it has been a wonderful learning experience for me. Um, Recently I had Dr. Pedro Noguera uh, who does amazing work. And that was probably one of the highlights. (laughs) Definitely exciting to be able to talk with him and pick his brain. Well, I know that many of my listeners are going to be prompted to be interested in in some of the guts and the the meat of what you advocate for with social justice and equity. So I will be certain to link all of that in the podcast notes. Uh, For those of you listening, we have, um, I mentioned in the bio that Dr. Rosa is a published author. And so I will be sure to make sure that our listeners can get in touch with all of your great work. And I am just sad that we have to end the interview, but I'm just so grateful that you took your time and that I got to spend this lovely conversation with you today. Well, the honor is mine. Thank you. I enjoy talking with you and I just look forward to connecting with you more often. Awesome. So do I, Dr. Rosa. Thank you for this awe-inspiring interview. You're welcome. The amazing Malala Yousafzai says that one voice can be heard in a silent world. It would be amazing if you could help this voice from the In Awe podcast today reach masses. Subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, share the episode with your friends. I am so thankful that you joined us today, and I am 
honored that you would consider raising these wonderful women up and their messages to help them land where they need to. Thank you for joining this awe-inspiring community.